Last week we started a new teaching series called That Thing. And the premise is that everybody has that thing that that is this kind of area of constant struggle. And it's something that that we don't talk about very often and and we try and hide it and it it brings with it some, some level of embarrassment or shame. And yet, God wants to to heal us of that thing. And so we're talking throughout this series about how to live with that area of constant struggle until He heals us, until He restores all things as He will at uh, at the time that Jesus returns. And this morning we're going to to take a moment to to reflect and to marvel on the, the, the miracle of of who we are as people, the, the human body. Once an upstanding citizen and district attorney in the fictional city of Gotham, Harvey Dent, was transformed when a mob boss threw some acid onto his face and the left side of his face became deeply scarred as a result of that. In the the months and years after and during the recovery time, he goes insane and and he kind of vacillates between this this good person and this evil, sinister character. Sounds like something that is just made for movies. I read this last week of a study that was done that's uh, known as the, the Quasimodo effect. They discovered that, that uh, in the general population, that, that about 20% of the people, they have some kind of physical deformity that could be fixed with, with plastic surgery. But among those in prison, the, those that they surveyed, the, the, the 1,600 people, it wasn't 20%, it was 60%. The conclusion that they drew is that, that our character, who we are, is largely shaped by, by what gets reflected back to us. That, that our physical bodies, it affects our minds and, and the way that we behave and interrelate with one another. We're going to talk more about that in a few moments, but I, at this point I just want to, to, to remind you of, of the verse that we've been contemplating throughout this year from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We're going to stand in just a moment and read that, but, but I want to call your attention to the, the idea of, of renewing your minds. That, that what Paul is calling us to is, is to, to look into the image of God, look into the mirror of God, have that reflected back to us, and that is what transforms us. With our second and fourth daughter, we did not find out the the gender of the baby until uh, she was born. And uh, many people would think that we were crazy for doing that. Uh, Whenever you have the ability to know and you can make plans, you can decorate, all of that kind of of stuff. But I joked frequently that uh, because I'd already been through this once and I wasn't really a necessary part of the process, I needed a reason to show up to the hospital, and having that bit of surprise was a motivation for me to go. Otherwise, I could just stay at home and get a good night's rest and go and see Allie in the morning. Now, that was a a joke, because I would not have passed up that opportunity for the world. 
I am not an emotional person by uh, by nature. I I, I don't uh, I don't cry. I don't uh, laughing, joking is about the only emotion that that I I feel comfortable uh, showing, displaying in most contexts. But with all four of my children, I was just overcome with emotion. I, I just didn't know what to expect. And, and even after having the first one, I, and I knew what was going to take place, there was still this, this incredible experience. I want you to think about the marvel of the birth of a baby. I found this uh, picture that uh, appeared in a Life magazine uh, back in the 1960s. It is incredible that, that in that moment of birth that we can be transformed from, from living inside this, this liquid environment where your lungs are not even in fully inflated, you're not breathing air, to in, in just the flip of a switch. Blood is diverted into the lungs and, and the heart becomes fully functional on its own. And, and life is taking place. read a medical doctor that described this moment in, in ways that only someone who has studied the human body in great detail can. Dr. Paul Brand in his uh, book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, says that, that finally in the fullness of time a child is born. The umbilical cord stops pulsing and soon begins to shrivel. The drama of independent life is underway. And immediately the baby cells join together in a cooperative response to the new environment. The baby's face recoils from the harsh lights and dry air. Muscles limber up in jerky, awkward movements. Air rushes into lungs never before used for oxygen filters through the lungs now, not the placenta. A team of bronchial passageways, diaphragm muscles, and all the other components of breathing must simultaneously lurch into motion. The baby, though free and independent, is still incapable of supporting its own life. Happily, the mother's body has been readying itself for this new role since about age 11. At puberty, a certain hormone present only in females begins to secrete at a gentle level. But today, in the body of every young woman, uh, millions of cells lie in wait, perusing the, the molecular structure of every hormone that happens by much as one might scan one's email in search of an urgent call to action. All but a few of the body's cells ignore the chemical. Breast cells listen. They multiply and enlarge into shape in the symmetry of a mature breast and then wait, quiescent, until a pregnancy calls them to active duty. The baby has no experience it has never seen a breast and may, in fact, have never opened its eyes. Yet a baby instinctively knows what to do upon contact with a woman's breast. The baby creates suction by closing its mouth over an area of compliant skin and then contracting its throat muscles, while also shutting off the glottis to avoid drowning in the fluid. Nutritionists study with amazement the remarkable broth of vitamins, 
nutrients, antibodies, and macrophages that, that compose mother's milk. Oblivious, the baby knows only when and how to suck. Soon the marvel of cooperation will unfold within the growing infant whose hormones regulate development. Some body, body parts double in size, some triple, and some enlarge to hundreds of times their original size. What handicaps would result if the kneecap grew 10% faster than the tendons, ligaments, and muscles surrounding it? Or if the right leg grew slightly longer than the left? Each body part grows in proportion to supporting structures supplied within lengthened blood vessels at every stage of growth. The body's many parts work together in concert. One can hardly avoid words like miracle and marvel when speaking of childbirth. Yet the phenomenon occurs so commonly that seven billion proofs now live on this planet. Within that clay-colored package of cells lies the origin of the ecstasy of community. The infant's life will include the joy of seeing his mother's delight at his first clumsy words, the discovery of his own unique talents and gifts, the fulfillment of sharing with others Though a product of many cells, he is one organism. All his 40 trillion cells know that. That is truly a remarkable process that that we all have undergone and that we all witness on a daily basis. Something that that whenever you're reading the Bible, the Bible seems to understate it. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God created Mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. All of that that, that Paul Brand described for us, it is summed up in this, this kind of simple statement that God created them. God created them male and female. But what we need to understand is that the, the, the story of Genesis is telling a very specific story. There are other creation narratives. There are other groups that, that, that have their own myths, their own stories of how this world and how humanity came to be. One of the most popular in ancient times has, has become known as the Babylonian epic in which two gods wage in war and one is defeated, the, 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 the carcass is ripped in, in two and uh, those two parts become the earth and humanity. And it's in that context that, that God begins to reveal not so much how, not, not the intimate details of, of how everything is created, because that's not the answer that Genesis is trying to, to uh, the question that, that Genesis is trying to address. Genesis is more concerned with who. Who created? And who are we? And I want us this morning to, to take a look 
to, to fin- spend a few moments and marvel at the miracle, first of all, at, at who we are. The psalmist will later, in reflecting and marveling about who we are, will pen these words in Psalm 139. Verse 13, you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your your book before one of them came to be the psalmist marvels at at, at the human body at, at who we are in this creation and as he he contemplates the, the the human body he goes to the the unseen parts the the language most likely is referring to the bones, my inmost being, the, the, the bones. He says that the, the things that, that I can't see, you saw and you formed in me. He's suggesting or, or speaking about the, the complexity of, of who we are as, as people. This complexity is, is perhaps... Uh, most evident in the human brain. In the, the, the human brain, the, the, the cells that, that are, are most prominent is, are cells that are, are known as, as neurons. Neurons have this, this interest, intricate shape that, that they have these kind of roots that begin to, to, to spread and spiral out in a spider web type of, of look. We are born with 12 billion neurons. Each of these neurons having dozens of of endings and none of them touching, physically coming into contact with another neuron. There's a a small gap in between that known as synapses and that allows for multiple neurons to to, to come together at any individual uh, synapse. If you were to take a slice of the human brain and, and, and narrow it down to the weight of a gram, you would likely have uh, about four billion um, connections in that in that that specimen. The human body is incredibly complex. Adding to that complexity is, is the, the unity, the, the integration between every single part of the human body. Amy Cuddy shared in a, a TED Talk back in 2012 some studies that she has done to, to discover how, how uh, your, the, the stance, the... the um, the pose that you are in physically, it, it shapes, it, it um, forms your emotional experience of life. 
That whenever you, you take a big, expansive posture, that, that you become larger, that your body actually begins to increase its production of testosterone, that, that, that kind of manly hormone, and it lowers the, the, the hormones of, of cortisol, the, the stress hormone. And you actually feel more powerful. But whenever you cower, whenever you become physically smaller, that the inverse becomes true, that, that you experience a, a greater secretion of cortisol and stress and lower levels of testosterone. That just the, the posture that you take, it, it affects your mind. It's all connected. There's this incredible unity between all of the structures. One does not have to experience uh, a great deal of pain before you start to figure out that, that every body part is connected. If you have experienced chronic pain, then you know that that kind of experience, the, the experience that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12, when he says that whenever one part suffers, every part suffers with it. But if one part rejoices, then the entire body rejoices with it. The, the entire body is connected. And it's not just the physical body. It's not just the, the, the body and your mind. But the soul is also intricately connected in your personhood. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Paul is writing to the church and correcting their abuse of the Lord's Supper. And he offers some very stern warnings for them. In verse 28, he says that, that everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. In verse 29, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why. Many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. We try to, to understand the way that, that complex organisms, complex systems function by, by breaking them down to their individual parts. In order for us to understand how a, a car engine works, we, we like to, to kind of take it apart. If you want to understand how the, the electricity turns on your light switch, we, we understand, we try to break down the light bulb, and then we, then we go to the, the electrons, and we start to understand the, these little components that make up the whole. And what we have done to the human body, what we've done to the person, is we've divided it into to body Mind and soul or spirit. And one of the, the, the unfortunate results of that is we then begin to draw these very rigid barriers between all three of them. And we say that, that, that what you do in your body, it really doesn't affect your mind. Or what you do in your, your, your mind, it really doesn't affect your, your spirit. But Paul here takes this, this in, in one sense, this practice that is intensely personal about your relationship between you and God. And, and he makes it very communal. says so that your relationship between 
others, that it actually impacts your relationship with God. And those two, that, that in essence is the, the spiritual life, your relationship between you and God, your relationship between you and others, that's in essence spiritual life. It's not just this stuff that, that you can't see, but it is those two things that can have an impact on your body. Paul's suggesting that, that the abuse of this sacred practice can lead to sickness and even death. And so what, is, what does that mean for us as we, as we talk about and think about, reflect on these things that, that, that we wrestle with? These constant areas of, of struggle for us. Our depression, our anger, our grief. What it what I want you to see in, in taking this deep dive into the human body is, is to see that, that, that because God has created us in this way, it, it means, on one hand, that, that we have incredible uh, plasticity, that, that we are incredibly resilient. That because we have these trillions of cells and the way that God has designed the body, if one cell, if, if one part of our brain starts to, to, to kind of uh, misfire, that you can begin to recruit other connections that will then reconnect everything. But it also means that there's an infinite number of, of ways that that things can go off kilter. Sometimes I'm amused watching commercials uh, for medication and the, the length of time that they spend on the, so, the possible side effects often are much larger than the time that they, they describe the, the, the medication itself and what it's, it's for. And it's because of this acknowledgement that, that everything is connected and so whenever you're taking medication for, for blood pressure, it can affect the way that you feel, the way that you experience life. It affects every part of us. And it's here that I think we need some gospel. We need to hear what the gospel has to say for us. And for that, we turn our attention to the, the, the miracle of, of who God is. Because this creation story, the Bible, doesn't just reveal to us that, that we are a marvel. But the marvel of who God is. Whenever we read Psalm 139, it's not just admiring the human body, it is admiring the creator of the human body. That, that's what's known as a, a, a watchmaker argument. That, that you look at the complexity, you look at, at how wondrous the human body is, and you say that, that, that the chances of that just happening by accident are too great. There has to be some design behind this. If it is a miracle that we have trillions of cells in our body, that all have access to our brains. 
through this intricate network of, of cells. Perhaps what is the greatest miracle is that the same is true of us spiritually. That every single person has access to God. In the second telling of the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, God provides a a zoomed-in glance at, at the creation story. And he says that it's not good for man to be alone. So he will make a suitable helper for him. The word helper, help meet, it is a, a very unique word that, that it is used 16 other times in the Old Testament. And every single time it is in reference to God. Whenever he's using this to describe the relationship between man and woman, he's not diminishing uh, the, the significance of woman. It's, it's actually elevating and, and, and providing this beautiful picture. This is who God is. That God is, is just like a, a, a spouse to us that is always there. That is the shoulder. That is the comfort. That is the help in our times of trouble. I'm not going to suggest that every problem that you face is the result of some sin in your life. But what I think we we must recognize is that every problem can be taken to God. There's this story of an Old Testament king by the name of Asa, and he's one of those that, that, that kind of is a good king. He starts to, to tear down all the idols and he starts to make some reforms and, and bring people back to the worship of God. But then we have this, this reference at the end of his life that says that, that he had a foot disease. And there's this small statement that says that, that he only sought the help of the physicians and not the Lord. I don't believe that this is a, a criticism of, of medical help and, and what it can provide to us uh, physically and mentally. But it is a criticism uh, against just only pursuing physical help. That God, in, in the order of everything, while, while God may not cause everything that is in our life, God is capable of restoring everything that is in our life. And only the fool will have an area of struggle and refuse to bring that to God. The miracle is that, that God cares enough to listen to every one of us. In James 5, James says it this way. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. 
Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's why we have a response time every week. Because we believe that, that our God is good enough that He cares. And sometimes our struggles, our troubles, our addictions, they are because of sinful choices that we have made. And we need the opportunity to confess to somebody else. And we need to repent and change our ways. And sometimes... The trouble that we experience, it it may not be caused because of our spiritual unfaithfulness. But it can be redeemed by our God. And so we offer the invitation now. Some of our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center and I'll be at the front. If you'd like to pray, go to one of our shepherds and they'll pray with you. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ, so that you can have the forgiveness of your sins, so that you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and live with you. You can have this this help meet, this helper to always be with you as you go through the areas of struggle in your life. We invite you to come as we stand and sing together.